This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Something brand new for you tonight, Philo Vance. I was delighted to discover this gem of an old-time radio show. He was a fictional character created in 12 crime novels written by S.S. Van Dyne. That's the pen name of Willard Huntington Wright, published in the 1920s and 30s. Now, during that time, Vance was immensely popular in books, movies, and on the radio. He was portrayed as a stylish, even foppish dandy, a New York bon vivant, possessing a highly intellectual bent. He was a man of unusual culture and brilliance, an aristocrat by birth and instinct. He held himself severely aloof from the common world of men. The great majority of those with whom he came in contact regarded him as a snob. Well, his snobbishness was intellectual as well as social. He detested stupidity even more. Vance often wore a monocle. He dressed impeccably, usually going out with chamois gloves, and his speech frequently tended to be quaint. You'll get a taste of this in tonight's episode, The Cellini Cup. John Emery, star of the Broadway success Angel Street, has Philo Vance in S.S. Van Dyne's murder mystery, The Case of the Cellini Cup. <laughs> Philo Vance, occupation criminologist, and tonight I'd like to tell you the adventure of the Cellini Cup. As I pieced this fantastic and incredible story together later, it started something like this. In the east 70s of New York City, deep in the gloomy shadow of the 3rd Avenue L, is a dingy little second-hand store called the Old World Curio Shop. It's about 10.30 at night. The front of the store is filled with the usual miscellaneous rubbish, but in the back there's a rather a good workshop. There's a light on there. The man is hunched over a workbench repairing the enamel on, of all things, a cloisonne elephant. This man is Paul Getman, about 43. Rather heavy set, oily complexion, little pig eyes, smug and self-satisfied, but a clever worker. An unpleasant man, but then he hasn't long to live. Although he doesn't know that. There's a discreet knock on the door at the front of the shop. 
gets up and walks through the store to the door. Oh, it's you. What do you want? Well, hey, hey, put that gun down. Someone's liable to get hurt. <laughs> Wait a minute. Take it easy. What are you going to do? No, no, you don't dare. You can't get away with it. That's murder. For God's sake, don't do it. Well, why don't you say something? What are you waiting for? I know. I know what you're waiting for. You're waiting for the elevated train. You're waiting for the elevated train to drown out the shots. Well, I got Carlo Vance will be back in a moment. But first, you know when a friend of yours gets a new house, you naturally want to go and see it. Well, an old tried and true friend of yours, Raleigh Cigarettes, is living in a brand new house, and you really ought to see it. Because Raleigh's new house protects you by protecting Raleigh's. How? This new house is an exclusive new package, which gives up to 400% more protection than the package on other leading brands. This means that Raleigh Cigarettes come to you factory fresh. Never harsh and bitter, always rich in flavor and fresh. Smokers, you'll thank me for this if you follow my suggestion. Make your next pack Raleigh's, America's freshest cigarettes. Here is Philo Vance to tell you the story of the Cellini Cup. Thank you, Mr. Shirley. Well, to explain how I got involved in this, John F.X. Markham, the district attorney, is an old friend of mine, and bright and early the morning after Getman was murdered, uh, much too bright and much too early, Markham came over to my apartment and dragged me over to the old world curio shop to view the mortal remains of Paul Getman. Sergeant Heath of the Homicide Squad met us at the door. A businesslike frown on his broad, pugnacious features and gestured toward the body. Well, here he is, shot through the heart. Doc Baker examined the body and pulled a thirty-two slug out of him. I would have bet my shirt it was a forty-five. Made a big hole going in. Mm, so it did, Sergeant. No well, signs of a struggle. Who found the body, Sergeant? The patrolman on the beat. The burglar alarm went off and he came running. Looks like Getman set it off himself. There's a button right here on the counter, and we found Getman's thumbprint on it. Look at this, Markham. What's that, Vance? This utterly atrocious tie Getman was wearing. Imagine the embarrassment of being caught dead wearing a purple horror like this. I thought it was kind of snappy. Sergeant, you distress me. I've never seen you out of your uniform, but I'll wager you're a panic. Now, Vance, let's not get into a discussion of what the well-dressed corpse should wear. Calm yourself, Markham. Ah, what have we here? A little circular bit of charred cloth. Must be a clue, eh, Sergeant? I already seen it. I figured whoever came in here to bump Getman off hid the gun under something. Maybe a handkerchief. And when he fired, this piece of cloth was blown off. Figured that out myself. Not bad, huh? Sergeant, you've been going to night school. Suppose you tell us what you found out about the late Mr. Getman. Okay, he was in his early 40s. He owned this shop. He did repair work on fancy art objects for the museum and art dealers. And he was pretty good at it, I guess. He had a little apartment at the Windsor Arms, and that's about all. Hey, looks like a customer at the door. 
That's his second today. Markham, isn't that George Henry Howard? Yes, it is. The art collector? Yes, but there's more of the collector than the artist in him. Before the war, he traveled over Europe sweeping up statues, porcelains, tapestries, and so on like a vacuum cleaner. Between George Henry Howard and William Randolph first, the museums on the continent were left looking a trifle seedy. Let him in, Sergeant. Okay. Well, well, Mr. Vance, isn't it? How are you, Mr. Howard? Fine, fine. Never better, thanks. Mr. Markham, our district attorney and champion of justice. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Markham? And Sergeant Heath. How are you? How do you do? Is uh, Mr. Ketman here? Yes, but he's not speaking to anyone. He was murdered last night, Mr. Howard. Murdered? Really? Oh, definitely. Well, that's too bad. From my standpoint, as well as his, I wanted to buy a group of items in here... Uh, will his death interfere with selling them? Well, that would depend on whether there were any heirs and so on. Oh, yes, of course, of course. Well, there seems to be a few pieces of some value in this case. Let's see, there's the triptych, the cloisonne vase, a copy of the Cellini cup, this beautiful German horizontal clock with hunting scenes in relief, circa 1600, I'd say. And quite right you are, Mr. Vance. Mm. Uh, by the way, Mr. Markham, I'd like to put a deposit of... Uh, Say, 4000 on the contents of this case, just to ensure my getting it. I'd top any bid by 250 Could I do that? Well, we'll have to take that up after the investigation is concluded. All right, fine, Mr. Markham. Thank you very much. If I can be of any help... Thank you. Quite all right. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Vance. Goodbye, Mr. Vance. Bye. 4000 bucks for that stuff? I could do better at the five and dime. Yeah, worth about 2000 Oh, Sergeant... You mentioned another customer. Oh, yeah, before you got here. A man by the name of Hans Hendricks. An art dealer, he told me. Oh, yes, the Hans Hendricks galleries on 57th Street. Anyway, he came to pick up an art object Getman was repairing for him. He had a receipt for it, so I let him in to make sure it was here. But I didn't let him take it. Oh, I'll answer. Maybe my office. Well, um, what do you think of this, Sergeant? Oh, I got a theory. When there ain't no clues... I always say what the French say. Church a femme. Church a femme. Uh, church a femme, eh? Yeah, in French, it means look for the dame. Oh, thank you for the translation, Sergeant. That's okay. That was the office, Vance. Swacker tells me they got the license number of a car that was seen here last night. Well, now we've got something concrete to work on. I have nothing very exciting to do this afternoon. Suppose I take this gentleman and scholar, the incredible Sergeant Heath, and the two of us will trace that license number to its lair. It's like I tell you, Mr. Vance, you don't have to be no genius to solve murders. All you do is ask the right people the right questions. Providing one can find the right people. Well, we sure got a lot of information so far. The owner of the car rented it to a guy named Tony Carpini who lives in Queens. Yes, and this Carpini had a date last night with a girl named Norma Allen who lives in Flushing. Church a femme, huh? She'll be in Mr. Markham's office tomorrow morning. I'll pick up Carpini and we'll... Well, we'll ask questions and solve the murder. You make it sound delightfully simple. Yeah, it's a cinch. I guess I know how to figure these things out instinctively. Sergeant, you've been most instructive. Oh, that's okay. Well, now, let's get on to the Hans Hendricks galleries. I'd like a few words with Mr. Hendricks. Uh, 
sit down, Mr. Vance and Sergeant Heath. Thanks. Now then, I'm at your service. Well, Mr. Hendricks, I'm looking for one of your messengers in connection with the Gatman murder. A guy called Tony Carpini. Ah, so... Unfortunately, he is no longer in my employ. You mean you fired him? Yes, this morning. So you are looking for Tony, eh? I'm glad I got rid of him. If I'm not too inquisitive, Mr. Hendricks, why did you dismiss him? I did not trust the man. And, of course, you had excellent reasons for not trusting him? He had quite a temper. Just lately, he was very surly. Not a man to trust with a gun. A gun? Did he carry a gun? My messengers often deliver valuable pieces. I believe I saw in the papers that the bullet was a thirty-two. Yeah, that's right. You may be interested to know that Tony's gun was a thirty-two. I, I, I have it here in my desk. Well, well, right in your desk. Now, that's convenient, Mr. Hendricks. He turned it in when I discharged him. Uh, there you are, Sergeant. Thanks. I'll just take this along. Where did Tony keep the gun? After work, I mean. In his locker with his uniform. I presume he had a key to the delivery entrance? And he could get in at night if he wanted to? <laughs> Easily. Uh-huh. Well, thanks, Mr. Hendricks. Oh, uh, say, before I go, my wife wants an extra chair for the living room, and I noticed that one by the door as we came in. And the sergeant sat in it, bounced in it, slumped in it, and finally decided he and the chair were soulmates. It's that carved chair with a needlepoint upholstery. Of course, of course, I know the chair. How much are you asking for it? It is priced at $575, I believe. Holy cow, I can get the same thing at Ludwig Bauman's for $3,175. Well, thanks again. Not at all. Goodbye, gentlemen. Goodbye. All right. Now we're really getting somewhere. And without none of that fancy uh, psychology of yours either, Mr. Vance. That guy Hendricks was pretty helpful. Wasn't he, though? Almost too helpful. <laughs> What's the news this morning, Markham? You look like the cat that swallowed the canary and went proudly around hiccuping feathers. Well, Vance, Sergeant Heath's out tracking down our man now. I told him to bring him in as soon as he located him. And who is the man? <laughs> I never thought I'd hear Philo Vance ask that question. You usually know who the man is. So nice of you to say so, old fellow. You know, Vance, a gun scratches its individual signature on bullets that leave the barrel. So we compared the bullet that killed Getman with a bullet fired from the gun that that messenger, uh, Tony... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, here it is. Tony Carpini. The bullets match perfectly. Looks like he did it. My dear Markham, it only proves that a bullet fired from his gun brought about Getman's untimely demise. Vance, you're splitting hairs. Splitting hairs is a hobby of mine, Markham, old boy. A hobby that I thought I shared with all members of the legal profession. Yes, Mr. Markham. Uh, send Miss Allen in. Yes, sir. Ah, that would be our femme fatale, the Cleopatra of Flushing. <laughs> From Swacker's voice, I'd say she left him goggle-eyed. Ah. Oh, uh, come in and sit down, Miss Allen. Yes, thanks. I'm Mr. Markham, and this is Mr. Vance, a sort of special assistant of mine. A pleasure, Miss Allen. Oh, likewise. We'd like to have you tell us what happened the night of the murder. Well, I had a date with Tony, and we drove around a little, and then we parked, and... He started talking about me going out with Mr. Getman. He got sore, and I told him that we would have to consider our acquaintanceship at an end because I had become engaged to Mr. Getman. Gee, I've only been engaged eight days. I didn't even get a ring. And what was Tony's reaction to the news of your engagement? He was wild. He was mad. He threatened to kill me and Paul. Uh, that's Mr. Getman. 
So I asked him to be so kind as to take me home. Yes, sir. Uh, what time was it he brought you home? Uh, about quarter to eight. Oh, he did it all right, Mr. Markham. Well, thank you very much, Miss Allen. Now, uh, just a moment, Markham. Miss Allen, how long have you been, uh, dating Mr. Gimble? Oh, about four months, I guess. I met him when Tony had to deliver something to his shop to be repaired after hours, and he took me along. Paul fell in love with me at first sight. I'm considered very attractive by men. Well, obviously. And you liked Mr. Getman very much, I presume. Oh, indeed. Indeed, yes. I, I've always wished to travel, and he was going to take me to South America after the duration of the duration. Paul knew lots of important people, too, if you know what I mean. I'm afraid I don't. Well, like Mr. Howard, the art collector. Paul took me to one of Mr. Howard's cocktail parties. Gee, it was swell. Nobody was there who wasn't somebody. Vance, don't you Just take a moment, Markham. I even talked with Mr. Howard himself in person. Oh, he was swell. And he showed me some of his collections. You know, etchings and things. When I told him Tony worked for Mr. Hendricks, and I knew all about art from what Tony had told me. I what... see. And uh, you and Mr. Howard got along very well together? Oh, sure. I told him all about Tony and I and Paul, and he laughed and laughed. I was a big hit at that party. Gee... I guess I'll never get to travel after what Tony done. Oh, I imagine another man will come along and be blinded by your charms, Miss Allen. Yeah, I suppose so, but maybe he won't be no gentleman like Mr. Getton. Hey, will you stop showing oh, me around? Tony. Here's Carpini, Mr. Markham. He was out on the town last night, but I grabbed him when he came back to his room. Had his bags packed and was all ready to skip town. Tony, what did you do it for? What did you do it for? You spoiled everything. I didn't kill him. You did, too. You said you were going to. Uh, shut up, will you? I hate you. I'll never give you another day. Will you shut up? I tell you, I didn't kill him. I didn't have nothing to do with it. You did, too. You're a murderer. That's what you are, a murderer. Uh, oh, he hit me. Cut it out, Carpini. Uh, let go of me. It's her own fault. She started it. Take him away, Sergeant. Okay, Mr. Markham. I guess he's a man, all right. What'd they tell you, Mr. Vance? Church A. Femme? Church A. Femme? Come on, Carpini. Oh, nuts. Here, use my handkerchief, Miss Allen. Oh, gee, thanks. You're awfully nice to me. Ah, not I, Miss Allen. Some other gentleman. Well, Vance, are you convinced now? Not entirely, Markham. So I think I'll trot along and see if I can comb a little information from George Henry Howard. Are you going now? Yes, Miss Allen. But before I depart, I think you may be interested to know that Mr. Markham is a bachelor and a very eligible gentleman. Hmm? Confidentially, he's fascinated by you. No kidding. <laughs> Why, Mr. Markham? Vance, what's the idea? Bye-bye, Markham. Oh, sit down, sit down, Mr. Vance. Thank you, Mr. Howard. A very pleasant den you have here. Yes, I like it. I see the cases along the walls are filled with the ripe fruit of your continental travels. Some beautiful things. You like them, eh? Well, when I saw something I wanted, I got it. Of course, these cases represent only a fraction of my entire collection. Now, uh, <clears throat> these two curved swords are nice. Creases, they're called. I picked them up in the Malay States ten years ago. Sharp as razors. And an exquisite pair of old dueling pistols. I, I suppose they are dueling pistols, aren't they? Oh, yes, yes. I got them in France. Beautiful inlaid gold work on them. And you'll notice they're identical in weight, shape, trigger pull, everything. Had to be, you know, to make the duel fair. Amazing. And I suppose these little cloth patches are for cleaning the guns. That's right. That's quite right. 
Well, what have we here in this case? It looks like a copy of that Cellini cup in the Metropolitan Museum. Yes, it's a good copy, too. Yes, it is. You have a whole case of ivory figurines, I see. Mm -hmm. I collected them for a while. Only a few of them have any real value. By the by, Mr. Howard, I came to ask about Hans Hendricks. You've had dealings with him, I suppose. Oh, yes. You see, Getman's murder is pretty well pinned on one of Hendricks' messengers. It was his gun. Please don't repeat this, but it occurred to me that Hendricks also might have access to that gun. Oh, I see, I see. Do you know... Do you happen to know whether Hendricks and Getman got along all right together? Well, as far as I know. Of course, Hans is a shrewd Dutchman. <laughs> He's an art dealer, too. I gather your opinion of the integrity of art dealers is not too frightfully high. <laughs> you never can tell, Mr. Vance. You never can tell. Mm. Well, thank you, Mr. Howard. You've been most helpful. <laughs> Well, Tony, nice cell you have here. Don't be funny. Tony, I'd like to ask you a question or so. Yeah? You trying to help me? Yes. What's your angle? Well, Tony, I'm of the opinion that jail is an unhealthy place to be. If you answer a few questions, I may be able to help get you out. Okay. What have I got to lose? Did Mr. Hendricks know about your trouble with Miss Allen and Getman? If he did, I didn't tell him. He might have found out from Getman, though. That's right, too. Did Mr. Hendricks ever give you anything to deliver to Mr. Howard? Yeah, a couple of times. And that Mr. Howard is a right guy. And how did you come to that conclusion? Well, you see, I delivered a vase about a week ago, and there was a party going on. Mr. Howard was pretty tight, and he spilled two drinks he was holding all over me. Oh, Mr. Vance... Oh, just a moment, Sergeant. Go ahead, Tony. Well, he took my clothes and gave me one of his silk bathrobes to wear and had my clothes dried while I sat in the room. Then he gave me ten bucks. I thought that was okay. Mm. Now, Sergeant? I found out if Mr. Markham was in his office like he asked me to. He is all right. Thanks very much, Sergeant. You're a noble custodian of the law. I'll be right... Go right up and see him. Now, thank you, Tony. Don't worry too much. For heaven's sakes, what did you bring me here to the museum for? Stop fretting, Markham. I wanted to lift you out of the hurly-burly of your mundane world, far from the madding crowd's ignoble strife, and to transport you to the cool halls of this temple of art. Now, what sort of nonsense is that? Once in a while, you've got to get away from jangling telephones, noisy courtrooms, and intellectuals such as the good Sergeant Heath. You've got to get away and enter this world of beauty and quiet and romance. Look at the Etruscan shield in this case, Markham. Yeah, very nice. What stories it could tell. How many heroes buckled it on and strode bravely into battle shouting some barbaric cry. Yet, here it is today, still full of beauty. Ah, here's the Cellini cup. Remember, there was a copy of it in that case in Getman's shop. Benvenuto Cellini. Artist, writer, swordsman, adventurer, the gay lover of the Renaissance. And over here... Now, Vance, you're not going to take me on a conducted tour of the Metropolitan Museum, are you? I've got work to do. All right, Markham. I have a few things to do myself. But if you and Sergeant Heath will arrange under some pretext for Howard and Hendricks to be at the Old World Curio Shop two hours from now, I'll turn over the murder of Paul Getman to you at the conclusion of a short lecture. (laughs) 
While Philo Vance is preparing to expose the murderer, Paul Getman, may I take just a moment to speak about freshness and its importance in cigarettes? That's why Raleigh's are living in a brand new house. Raleigh's new house we speak about is a scientifically developed, highly protective inner lining that seals the Raleigh package. Protects Raleigh's more expensive, more golden tobaccos against flavor-stealing dryness. Preserves Raleigh's full, rich, satisfying flavor. This extra safeguard provides up to 400% more protection. Yes, Raleigh's goodness is sealed in because dryness is sealed out. And this extra protection ensures Raleigh's perfection. Next time, get America's fresher cigarette, Raleigh's. And now here's Philo Vance. Well, Howard and Hendricks put in their appearance at the Old World Curio Shop on the dot of eight with Markham and Sergeant Heath. Howard was his usual jovial self, but Hendricks was quiet. And it seemed to me a little suspicious. I had chairs arranged around a table and seated Howard and Hendricks with their backs to the showcases. Markham tossed the conversational ball right into my lap. Uh, Mr. Vance will explain this meeting to you, gentlemen. Uh, yes, yes. Well, you both have something you want to get out of this shop, and knowing how complicated the legal machinery that Mr. Markham so valiantly protects is, I persuaded him to settle the whole thing tonight and save both of you the inconvenience of waiting for Getman's fares to be settled. Mr. Hendricks, I believe there's something of yours here in the shop that Getman was repairing for you. A large cloisonne elephant. And, Mr. Howard, you wanted to buy the contents of one of these showcases, didn't you? That's right, Mr. Vance. Getman and I had already agreed on a price of 4000 Which seems more than fair to me. It's amazing, isn't it, how a small piece of lead can complicate the lives of a lot of people? Tony Carpini didn't simplify matters for either of you. Then he's the one who did it, huh? That's right, Mr. Howard. Chafem. I didn't know I had a man like that working for me. Funny, I always thought he was a nice boy. Well, I don't agree with Sergeant Heath's Chafem theory, as he calls it. I think the motive was robbery. There was one item in this case that Tony might have thought represented a fortune in itself. Just a minute. It was this item right here. Look, a copy of the Cellini Cup. This is what lured a man to the depths of murder. But it never will again because I'm going to smash it to pieces on this table. Don't do that. Don't, you fool. Stop. That's the real cup. That's the original. Stop it, you idiot. You're smashing one of the greatest treasures in the world. Sergeant Heath, you may arrest Mr. Howard for the murder of Paul Getman. Markham, the admirable Curry has just informed me that he will serve dinner in three minutes. Vance, you irritating so-and-so. Sit down and tell me how you knew Howard murdered Getman. His confession clears Tony, but there's still a lot of things unanswered. Well, there's no point in my being coy with you, Markham. Where shall I begin? Why did Howard kill Getman? His confession explains that, but suppose I put it in order. A. Howard was a wealthy art collector who wanted something he couldn't buy. The Cellini cup that was in the museum. B. Getman was a clever goldsmith who did repair work for the museum. He had access to the Cellini Cup. See? Howard bribed Getman to make a copy of the cup and substitute it for the original. But D, Getman made two copies, substituted one for the original, which he kept, and sent the other copy to Howard, who E, for exterminate, 
decided to kill him when he found he had been double-crossed and did. Yes, yes, Vance, I know all that. And it isn't necessary to talk to me as though I were a child. Yeah, I'm not at all sure about that, Markham. Oh, go on, go on. What about the bullet from Tony Carpini's gun matching the one that killed Gettner? Stop giving me the story in driblets. Well, at that party Miss Allen went to, she mentioned to Howard that Tony had threatened to kill Getman, and Howard realized he had a perfect fall guy, shall we say. He ordered some items sent from Hendricks, and then Tony delivered it. Howard spilled the drinks on him. With a pretext of drying his clothes, Howard got hold of the gun, took it to the basement, fired several shots into something that wouldn't destroy the markings on the bullets, then cleaned the gun and replaced the empty shells. Yes, but how did he shoot Getman with that bullet? Oh, very simple. Howard owned a pair of muzzle-loading dueling pistols, and he loaded one of them with a bullet from the gun. Remember that charred piece of cloth that was near the body? Yes. That was used to tamp the powder down. And remember Sergeant Heath remarked about the hole the bullet made, that it was large, and he'd guessed the bullet was a forty-five. Well, the thirty-two bullet was a little small for the gun, and it wasn't going straight when it hit Getman. Howard was an ingenious devil, wasn't he? Come, come, Markham, don't give him all the applause. Save a little for me. All right, you too are an ingenious devil. But what made you suspect Howard? A number of things. First, my suspicions were aroused when he offered twice as much for the contents of that case containing the Cellini cup as they were worth. Then it seemed strange that a man of Howard's position would invite Getman and his lady love to one of his parties. Of course, though, they were partners in crime. Yes, that seemed odd to me, too. It bothered me, and I dropped in to chat with Howard about it. Saw the dueling pistols and the little cloth patches. And also discovered to my surprise that he already had a copy of the Cellini Cup. Why should he want another? So you took another look at the one in Getman's shop, found it was the original, and dragged me over to the museum where you saw a copy in place of the original. <laughs> Excellent. An astounding piece of deduction, Markham. I exchanged the cups with the full cooperation of two dazed directors of the museum and pulled the psychological rabbit out of my hat. But why did you have me bring Hendricks over here to the shop, too? Well, there was a possibility that Getman might have gone to Hendricks with the cup, hoping to sell it to him and get some money in addition to what Howard had already given him. Who knows? Perhaps he did. And Hendricks had access to Tony's gun. But I was sure that a man who was willing to risk his life and reputation for that cup couldn't sit quietly and see it smashed in front of his eyes. Vance, you're an amazing person. I'm also hungry. Come, Markham. I see curry signaling that dinner is served. I hope the chicken tetrazzini is good. Catching a murderer has given me quite an appetite. Time now for Duffy's Tavern. Let's see what crazy scheme Archie the bartender gets into tonight. The episode was first aired in 1951. It's Duffy's Tavern, the Friday night transcribed feature on NBC's all-star festival of comedy, music, mystery, and drama. Here we go, friends, to Duffy's Tavern with our guest, Vincent Price, and starring Archie himself, Ed Gardner. Hello, Duffy's Tavern. Where do you leave meat to eat? Archie, the manager speaking. Duffy ain't here. Hello, Duffy. Hey, uh, guess who's coming down tonight? One of the finest actors of our day, Duffy. No. Not Dustin Farnham. <laughs> no, not Hobart Bosworth. <laughs> Duffy, I said our day, not yours. <laughs> it's Vincent Price, Duffy. 
You know the guy, he plays the hate interest in them uh, psychopathical murder dramas. <laughs> you know, he's always the louse. <laughs> Pictures, uh, you know, when, when Price says, I think I'll take the head off, he ain't talking about a beer. <laughs> That's all them dirty, nasty characters, though, in a real suave manner, sort of a soft-spoken loudmouth. <laughs> That, you know, that, that sweet, soothing kind of a voice. Don't know whether you should listen to it or pour it on a waffle. <laughs> but in person, Duffy, he's different. He's every inch a gentleman uh, with lots of savoir-faire, you know, the type of a guy you just know that he looks dignified in his long underwear. <laughs> huh? How's the crowd here? Oh, it's the usual after-the-night-court crowd. Huh? Well, look, I got an idea how we can swank up the place if you listen. Well, look, Duffy, who are the biggest spenders? Actors, see? And it's obvious why. You see, actors never have any dough. But they don't want nobody to know it. So, ergo, they spend it like mad. <laughs> Yeah, well, my idea is to turn this joint into an exclusive private club where only actors can be members, see, like the Lambs Club. And yeah, well, I would get Vincent Price and call it the Hams Club. <laughs> All right, I'll call you back, Duffy. Hey, Eddie, uh, now look, I want this club to be different. Now, the first thing we do is to drill one of them peak holes in the door, huh? Well, why does this hole in the wall need a hole in the door? <laughs> Eddie, every club's got one, uh, so that that sort of management can look out and see that nobody gets in but bona fide members. <laughs> well, if you put a peak hole in the door, nobody is going to come in. Why not? Well, if you can look out, they can look in. Now, Mr. Archie, how are you going to get any actors to join this club? By signing up Vincent Price. You see, Eddie, we've built the better mousetrap here, but... In order to catch the right mice, we have to bait the trap with the proper piece of cheese. <laughs> Namely, Vincent Price. Uh, Mr. Archie, uh, what could a man like Mr. Price do in a dump like this? All the things he's accustomed to. Not if he's uh, accustomed to breathing. <laughs> okay, so we'll air condition a joint. We tried that once, and you remember what happened? What? There, we crawled back into the bottle. <laughs> this time, we'll hold it out with pliers. <laughs> now, what else do we need for the club? Oh, yeah, we'll need a game room. Game room? Yeah, that back room where we keep the pig's feet. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty gamey, all right. <laughs> yeah, now, what else do I have in them private clubs? Oh, yeah, a library. Well, uh, what's going to be the library? We'll dust off that wild almanac over there. Look, Mr. Archie, in the first place, that almanac is from 1914. In the second place, one almanac don't make a library. Let me take your objections in order. Firstly, about the almanac being 1914, the Declaration of Independence is a great work, ain't it? Yep. When was it wrote? 1776. Touche. <laughs> For your secondly objection that one almanac don't make a library. To that, I reply the word is almanac, not almanac. There you go. Touche again. Yeah, I think you're slightly toucheed in the head. <laughs> yes, Miss Duffy? I want to ask you something very important. What is it? 
if a fellow says, Dearest beloved, I love you more than the sun, the moon, the stars, more than life itself. Be mine, beautiful Miss Duffy. Be mine. Is that committing himself? <laughs> well, yes and no. What do you mean, yes and no? Yes and no guy in his right mind at saying. <laughs> well, it so happens that it was said to me by my boyfriend, Rodney Maximilian Haybinder. <laughs> Miss Duffy, you still interested in that bum? Bum? You heard me. Archie, it so happens that at Barnaby's Barber College, Rodney is the only one to hold a safety award. Really? Safety award? Yes. He's the one man in his class that they trust to singe sideburns without the professor standing by with a fire extinguisher. What'd they give him for the reward? A hot towel with his name lathered on it? Are you kidding, Miss Duffy? This guy really goes to a barber college? You think I run around with illiterate? Here, look at this letter. Let me see. Darling Miss Duffy, I thought about you all today at shaving class. Look, this letter is a little too mushy for me. <laughs> Maybe you better read it. What happened to him at shaving class? Well, let's see. Um, so, dearest, the professor gave me four demerits. Just for a tiny nick a customer noticed on his earlobe. And darling, I'm really surprised he noticed it, as the earlobe was on the floor at the time. <laughs> then in my confusion, I made matters even worse by giving the customer somebody else's earlobe. <laughs> I don't know what kind of a barber this guy is, but he certainly writes beautiful love letters, doesn't he? Mm, don't be sarcastic, Archie. It happens that there are a lot of X's at the bottom of the letter. X's, huh? Are they sort of smeared in red? Now that you mention it, yeah. Huh? Stuffy, you know, you're really a lucky girl. It's a lucky thing that the guy didn't go to a guillotine college. <laughs> Customers be walking around without heads. Uh, hello, Arch. Oh, hiya, Finnegan. Hello, Finnegan. Good evening, Miss Duffy. My, you look pretty. Thank you, Finnegan. Every day you look better. Yesterday you looked better than the day before, and today uh, you look like the morning after. <laughs> well, thank you. Oh, don't mention it. See, Arch, I hear you start the new club. That's right. Is it going to have dames in it? No, Finnegan, no dames. It's going to be strictly non-sextarian. <laughs> So in that case, I think I'll just stick to the YWCA. Finnegan, the YWCA is for women only. It is? Yeah. No wonder they keep throwing me out of the steam room. <laughs> Look, Finnegan, the, the club that I'm going to have here is just going to be for actors, but if you'd like to join, I'll use my influence to get you in. No, thanks, George. I'm too particular. What do you mean, particular? You think I'd join a club that takes people like me? <laughs> I think you got a point there, Finnegan. Besides, I, I belong to too many clubs already. What clubs do you belong to? Oh, the Lonely Hearts Club, the Alpladen for President Club. Uh, that was disbanded, by the way. Nobody told me why. <laughs> oh, then I belong to the Book of the Month Club. You belong to the Book of the Month Club? Yeah. I have a special membership. They just send me the pictures. Well, that's a 
very good club, that book of the month club. Uh, do you attend their meetings? It's a funny thing, Arch. They don't have meetings. <laughs> really? Nope. No meetings, no parties, no ball team. Personally, I think the whole thing is a scheme to sell books. <laughs> to me, you sound more like you just came out of the Canadian club. <laughs> Please, Arch, I got enough trouble with books. What What would I do with a Canadian every month? If you'd like to have some fun, why don't you go over to that stove in the kitchen and stick your head in the oven? Maybe your brains will expand. Good idea, Arch. I'll set the oven for a slow broil. And every five minutes, I'll come in and baste you. Now, Eddie, did you start fixing up the game room? Not yet. Well, when you do, I got a terrific idea. See, we'll, we'll get a dartboard and some darts so that the actors can really have a lot of fun with themselves. Uh, how? We'll cover the dartboard with pictures of their agents. pretty good here, except for one thing. Uh, what's that? I don't think our more conservative members will like this picture of September morn. Tell you what you do. Uh, what? Put a hatchet in her hand, and we'll call it Custer's Last Stand. <laughs> now, let's see. What else does the club need? Uh, uh, members? Members? Ah, oh, don't worry, Eddie. With Vincent Price joining up, we'll have all the actors from Hollywood dropping in. Well, if they're going to drop, this is the place to do it. Hello? Oh, hello, Duffy. You've been thinking it over and you want to join the Actors Club? Duffy, you an actor? You get strange fright when you have to call out your floor in a crowded elevator. <laughs> Duffy, I'm telling you, the place is strictly for actors. Now, look, Holland, take it off, but a burlesque show don't make you no actor. <laughs> I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll compromise you. I'll, uh, I'll make you the chairman of a membership committee. But remember, no fair blackboard guys just because they ain't Irish. Okay, Duffy. Now, Eddie, I got to get this dart game set up. Uh, where's the pictures of them agents? Right here. Ah, the agents' pictures, yeah. Mm. You know, they ain't going to be easy targets. Why not? Even in the pictures, their eyes keep shifting back and forth. <laughs> Wait a minute, Eddie. Eddie, did you notice that? Uh, what? A dot just hit that agent right in the middle of his package. But then our first actor must be here. He is the spotlight, if you please. Well, it's Vincent Price. Good evening, Mr. Price. Uh, leave me W. Welcome to this distinction establishment. And furthermore... Thank you, Archie. And uh, may I say... Just a minute. Uh, leave me further say, Mr. Price, that seldom have we behooved such an august presentiment to these confines. And further besides... Now, Archie, if you don't mind, I'd like to... Please. <clears throat> I ain't through. The man is in love with the sound of his own voice. <laughs> Let me see. Oh, and feel assured, Mr. Price, that your visit is a bereavement from which we will not soon recover. 
Is anything you desire? Just back or call. There's just one thing I would like. What? An edgewise. An edgewise? Yes, so I can put a word in. <laughs> okay, what's the word? Goodbye. <laughs> but why? But you just got here. Can you think of a better time to leave? Wait, but you ain't had anything to eat yet. What? Eat here in this moldy mocombo? I'd sooner die. There is no sooner way. Quiet, Amy. Well, Vincent, I'm glad I'm finally meeting up with you, you know, especially after so many of our friends have said that we resemble each other. Our uh, friends say that? Yeah, yeah, lots of them. Uh, then let us be known by our enemies. Glad to see that you're a philosopher about it, Vincent. <laughs> I didn't get sore neither. <laughs> you know, as I look at the both of us, I, I can see the resemblance. <laughs> Take our belts. We're about the same height. And uh, what do you weigh? About 190. <laughs> well, then you've got about 90 pounds on me. <laughs> Me shoulders is a little narrower than yours. Oh, Archie, they only seem narrower because your ears stick out so far. <laughs> well, that's logical. But do you believe me, Vincent? You darken me up a little, give me an owl with a curler, dab a little makeup, Mommy, and I'd look enough like you to spit at your image. <laughs> but there's one way in which you and me is different. Huh? Thank heavens for that. What is it? Addiction. Oh, yes, of course. Our addiction. Yeah, yours is lousy. <laughs> yeah, me, I, I like to use big words, you know? Big words, huh? Yeah. Well, I can think of one right now. Oh, yeah? What's yours? I hesitate to tell you. <laughs> I bet I can think of an even longer one. In fact, I started using big words the minute I learned how to talk. Uh, how old were you when you learned how to talk? Nineteen. <laughs> See, and by that time, I was already in college. <laughs> you went to college? How do you think I got so cultured? You are cultured? You don't believe it? Recite some Shakespeare to me. I'll show you how intelligent I can look. <laughs> I doubt it, Archie, but you aroused my curiosity. Very well. He jested scars that never felt a wound. But soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. Hey, Arch! Yeah, Finnegan. Who's the mushmouth? <laughs> What's the matter? You sore because someone stole your forehead? Hey, Arch, can I punch this guy in the nose? Please, no. <laughs> Just reply in a gentlemanly manner that you never had a forehead. <laughs> okay, the fun, I never had a forehead. Arch, now can I punch him in the nose? Vinny, please, no fisticuffs. Mushmouth here happens to be a gentleman. <laughs> uh, perhaps I'd better introduce you. Vincent Price, uh, Clifton Finnegan. 
Highbrow? No brow. <laughs> okay, bud. Let's, let's shake hands and be friends. Isn't there a more sanitary way? <laughs> with applause. Finnegan, next time you go to an open-air movie, instead of popcorn, you better take DDT. But don't worry, Garch. What's wrong with it? Stuff tastes lousy. <laughs> uh, did you ever try citronella with a scoop of ice cream? <laughs> hey, bud, ain't you a little nuts? Hey, Vincent, you'll have to excuse Finnegan. You see, just before he was born... His mother had a bad case of fright. Well, what happened? His father walked into the room. <laughs> well, at least you met the guy. Hey, say, Arch. Oh, good heavens, he's back in a week. <laughs> this is Miss Duffy, man's best friend. Well, Miss Duffy, I... I can't tell you how happy it makes me to have this opportunity of meeting you. This guy's a better actor than I thought he was. Oh, shut up, Archie. Oh, Mr. Price. Yes? I'm not doing anything tonight. That does not surprise me. He was hoping he wouldn't give you a chance to start. Archie, please. What I was wondering, Mr. Price, is whether you would like a date with me tonight. Oh, but Miss Duffy, what about my wife? I'll let her get her own date. Oh, but I, I can't possibly go out tonight. Why not? Just look at this horrible haircut some idiot gave me. Barber <laughs> <laughs> college, you have I ever seen one. What'd the guy do? Cut it or chew it off? Oh, Archie, that's not the worst part. I also got a shave and just look at these earlobes. What about them? They don't match. <laughs> oh, so you're the one who caused all that trouble for Rodney. What, Miss Duffy, please. Someone would like to see you outside. Who? Me. <laughs> Get out of here. Now, Vincent, leave us get to the point. We're turning Duffy's into a high-class actors club, you see, very ulterior. And, uh, we'd like you to be the first member. The first and only? Well, not the only member. After you find out how wonderful and exclusive the club is, we'll naturally expect you to suck in some of your friends. Well, what do you say to our new Lambs Club? <laughs> This club's going to be wonderful. Just picture a warm, luxurious room, a roaring heart in the fireplace. <laughs> Low lights, you know, and, and soft dive-ins, them little day beds. Uh, pictures of great actors hanging on a wall. Edwin Booth, Sarah Bernhardt, Richard Mansfield, Abbott and Costello, Maury Amsterdam. <laughs> All of them. What about my picture? Your picture. 
I think I have the very place to put it. Oh, no, you don't. Oh. <laughs> you ain't heard me out. Well, hang it in a place of honor. Under the pig's feet. <laughs> Under them? Don't I even get top billing? Why should you? After all, don't forget the pig's feet have been here longer than you have. Well, what do you say? Will you join if I can get you in? Well... Good. That's... Oh, just excuse me. Hello? Oh, look, Duffy. Uh, we've got good tidings. Uh, Vincent Price wants to join the club. What? Duffy, I can't do that. No, you can't with a guy like Price. Okay. Mr. Price. What? The chairman of the membership committee desires you to audition. Audition? Yeah. You see, this club is only for actors, and the chairman has certain doubts. Well, hasn't he seen any of my pictures? That's what gave him the doubts. <laughs> Tell him to go soak his head. Right now, he's too busy with his feet. <laughs> now, what do you say? Will you give the audition? I'm sorry, I can't. Why not? Well, as I said, if I auditioned for that horrible Duffy, I'd be a bigger ham than I think I am, and I, I couldn't be. <laughs> Don't worry, you are. <laughs> uh, so what do you say? Duffy's listening. Well, all right. I'll, I'll start off with a recitation. Good. Uh, why don't you give him a little of that Shakespeare, huh? Very well. Uh, <clears throat> uh, to be or not to be, that is the question. Hold it, then. Well? Okay, Duffy. Not to be. Look, uh, Vince, uh, don't you know no songs or... Or jokes? Y yes, I, I know some jokes. Well, go ahead and spring one. Duffy likes jokes. Oh, well, <laughs> very well. Here's a very funny one. <laughs> <laughs> Great so far. Uh, well, it goes like this, you see. A, a little boy left his home, and he didn't come back for six years. Uh, when he returned, he knocked on the door, and his mother said, Hello, Cookie. So the little boy said, Why do you call me Cookie? And the mother answered, I call you Cookie because you've been a wafer so long. A wafer so long. Do you get it, Archie? I got it, but I don't think it's going to stay with me. Well, I know an even funnier one. Impossible. How does this one go? Well, it goes like this. Uh, Pat says to Mike, he says, um, I just received a letter from my sister. She must be very ill. So Mike says to Pat, really? How do you know? So Pat replies, well, she started the letter by saying, I'm in Chicago sick. Oh, Archie, I'm afraid I messed it up. I should have said, I'm in Chicago ill. <laughs> It uh, just happens that that joke just reached Chicago dead. Uh, better tell another one, Vincent, but uh, not quite so funny this time. Uh, I, I don't want to split and explain. Uh, well, actually, do you think Duffy knows the one about the woman who says, um, I just bought a dog, and the man says, spit? And the woman says, nobody drools a little. <laughs> 
Okay, Duffy. Well, Vince, so much for jokes. <laughs> what else can you do? Well, I, I can sing a bit. You can sing, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay, take a try on it. Well, very well. Stand back now. <laughs> you made me what I am today. I hope you're satisfied. You dragged and dragged me down until the hope within me died. I think you shattered each and every dream. Oh, you fooled me from the start. And although you are not true, may God bless you. That's the curse of a Decided your case in the affirmative. You're out. <laughs> Furthermore, the chairman has asked me to dissolve the club, so you have earned a rare distinction, Mr. Price. Oh, what do you mean? This is the first time in history that an entire club has resigned from a member. <laughs> transcribed feature on NBC's All-Star Festival of Comedy, Music, Mystery, and Drama. Brought to you by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. And by the makers of Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. Listen tomorrow evening for The Man Called X, starring Herbert Marshall, the Saturday night feature of the All-Star Festival. Thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up our week with Our Miss Brooks, followed by Inner Sanctum. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.